0: 14th century English mystic Julian of Norwich has been talked about by people in many different ways, but first and foremost She's the author of an extraordinary text the Revelations, which is the earliest known text authored by a woman in English Personally, she has been a friend and companion in my Christian life for over 30 years I'm the Reverend David Simmons Episcopal priest and oblate in the order of Julian of Norwich Thank you for joining me as we read and pray through the works of this extraordinary woman of faith and explore what she has to teach us about God's love. Good morning, and welcome to Love Was His Meaning, reading and praying with Julian of Norwich. We are at chapter 51D. We'll get into Julian, but first let's do the little office that is linked to in the description below the episode. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. Let us join together in Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High abides under the shadow of the almighty he shall say to the lord you are my refuge and my stronghold my god in whom i put my trust he shall deliver you from the snare of the hunter and from the deadly pestilence he shall cover you with his pinions and you shall find refuge under his wings his faithfulness shall be a shield and buckler you shall not be afraid of any terror by night nor of the arrow that flies by day of the plague that stalks in the darkness nor of the sickness that lays waste at midday A thousand shall fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Your eyes have only to behold, to see the reward of the wicked, because you have made the Lord your refuge, and the Most High your habitation. There shall no evil happen to you, neither shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you, to keep you in all your ways. They shall bear you in their hands, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the adder, You shall trample the young lion and the serpent under your feet. Because he is bound to me in love, therefore will I deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I am with him in trouble. I will rescue him and bring him to honor. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Let's say a prayer of Julian together. God of your goodness, give me yourself, for you are enough to me, and I can ask nothing that is less that can be full honor to you. And if I ask anything that is less, I shall always be in want, for only in you have I all. Amen. Well, now we are in. This is chapter fifty-one D. So this is the fourth section of chapter fifty-one. Uh, and just to go back to the the, the metaphor uh, that we're talking about here, this is this uh, this teaching parable that Julian has been delivered. Julian has been w- questioning this whole thing about the relationship between sin and blame, and God has told her that sin uh, that God does not blame us for sin, um, and she's having a really hard time with this, um, especially she puts it in the way that she's been brought up with the teachings of the medieval church at the time. So um, she is given this uh, this parable as a, um, an ex- ex- exemplum, is, is the term. It's a preaching, uh, kind of a preaching example uh, that's very common in medieval servants. Uh, so this, uh, very quickly, the exemplum uh, is that there is a, a, a lord who is sitting in repose on a throne and there's a servant standing to his right and the, the lord and the servant... Uh, have a, a huge amount of love for each other. Um, and the servant determines that there is something uh, that the Lord would like, that would would complete the Lord uh, um, and make the, the Lord happy. And the, the servant in his haste jumps up and starts to run away to do it and falls into a deep pit. And at that point uh, is grievously hurt. Canoe uh, is is physically grievously hurt, and but the worst part, as it's articulated in the exemplum, is that uh, they they can't turn around and see their Lord. So they're they're not only hurt, but they're cut off from the Lord, and that's where it ends. Uh, the the exemplum, uh, as we see in the chapter subchapter today, um, the, there's some explore, exploration of what happens after the moment. But the moment that the exemplum is is in, is in that moment that the Lord is looking with horror on what's happened to the servant, and the servant is no longer able to look back at the Lord and is in, in bad physical shape. All who are under heaven, who shall come to heaven, their way is by yearning and desire this desire and yearning was shown in the servant standing before the lord or else thus in the son standing before the father in adam's tunic for the yearning and desire of all mankind that shall be saved was manifested in jesus for jesus is all that shall be saved and all that shall be saved is jesus and all from the love of god with obedience meekness and patience and virtues that belong to us also in this marvelous illustration i received a teaching within me as if it were the beginning of an abc Whereby I can have some understanding of our Lord's meaning, because of the secrets of the revelation are hidden in this illustration, notwithstanding that all the showings are full of secrets. The sitting of the Father symbolizes his Godhead, that is to say, in order to show repose and peace, for in the Godhead can be no toil. And that he showed himself as Lord symbolizes our manhood. The standing of the servant symbolizes labour. That he stands on the side and on the left symbolizes that he was not fully worthy to stand before the lord his leaping up was the godhead and the running was the manhood for the godhead leaps up from the father into the maiden's womb descending into the taking of our human nature and in this falling he received great injury the injury that he received was our flesh in which he also soon had powerful experiences of mortal pains by the fact that he stood fearfully before the lord and not directly so indicates that his clothing was not respectable enough to stand directly before the Lord, and that could not or would not be his position while he was a workman. And also he could not sit in repose and peace with the Lord until he had won his peace properly with his harsh toil. By the left side symbolizes that his father left his own son willingly to the manhood to suffer all man's pains without sparing him. By the fact that his tunic was at the point of being turned to rags and torn is understood the stripes and the scourges, the thorns and the nails, the pulling and the dragging, his tender flesh tearing, as I saw to some degree the flesh was torn from the skull, falling in shreds until the time the bleeding stopped, and then the flesh began to dry again, clinging to the bone. And by the wallowing and writhing, groaning and moaning, is understood that he could never rise omnipotently, from the time that he was fallen into the maiden's womb, until his body was slain and dead, he he yielding his soul into the Father's hands, along with all mankind for whom he was sent. And at this point of rising, he began first to show his power, for he went into hell, and when he was there he raised up out of the deep, despite the great root of Jesse, which properly was knit to him in high heaven. The body lay in the grave until Easter morning, and from that time on he lay down nevermore. Then was rightfully ended the wallowing and the writhing, the groaning and the moaning, and our foul mortal flesh that God's Son took upon Himself, which was Adam's old tunic, tight, bare, and short, then by our Saviour was made fair, new, white, and bright, and of endless purity, wide and ample, fairer and richer, than there was the clothing which I saw in the Father. For that clothing was blue, and Christ's clothing is now of a light becoming mixture, which is so wonderful that I cannot describe it, for it is all of true glory." No longer does the Lord sit on the ground in wilderness, but now He rests, sits on His noblest throne that He made in heaven, most to His pleasure. No longer stands the Son before the Father as a servant fearfully, poorly clad, in part naked, but now He stands before the Father directly, richly, clad in blessed ampleness, with a crown upon His head of precious richness. For it is shown that we are His crown." which crown is the father's joy the son's honor and the holy spirit's pleasure an endless marvelous bliss to all that are in heaven now the the son does not stand before the father on the left side as a workman but he sits on his father's right hand in endless repose and peace but it is not meant that the son sits on the right hand side by side as one man sits by another in this life for there is no such sitting as to my sight in the trinity for he sits on his father's right hand that is to say in the highest nobility of the father's joys now is the spouse god's son in peace with with his beloved wife which is holy church the fair maiden of endless joy now sits the son true god and man and repose and peace on his throne which his father has devoted to him out of his endless purpose and the father is in the son and the holy spirit in the father and the son all right so that finishes out chapter 51 um several things uh, going on here uh one of the things uh that we're seeing the essential oneness between christ and uh, uh, and the church and those who follow christ here uh, this this whole idea of for jesus is all that shall be saved and all that shall be saved is Jesus. So this idea of this essential oneness of, of Christ and Christ's followers and, and those that love Christ. Um. Also, this marvelous illustration she receives in a teaching within me as if it were the beginning of an ABC. Uh, once again, we're getting an indication that she's probably lettered, at least as far as English goes, uh, how far um, uh, lettered uh, Julian is as far as Latin goes, which is what actually being lettered would, would mean in the time, uh, is that you, you can read and write Latin. Uh, we don't know, uh, but certainly... We, we we can assume from this, uh, from from everything that we're seeing, that she at least reads and writes uh, reads and writes in English, but even more importantly, so this is this happens twenty years. She gets this exemplum twenty years after she received the original um, uh, revelation, and she's been working on it all that time and thinking about it all that time, but still, after twenty years, it's as if she's got an ABC. Uh, she's very clear here that like. Even her explanation as far as she's giving it here um, in, in this very, very long uh, chapter is only an ABC. It's only the beginning. There is so much more that can be pulled out of this example. Of, um, we don't know if she pulled any more out of it because this is as far as we get with her. But um, there is more uh, for, for her and also for us uh, if, if it's some a point that we take in meditation. So we get this long meditation on what's going on with the servant here uh, from from, the, the, uh, from the, the illustration. His leaping up was the Godhead, and the running was the manhood, for the Godhead leaps from the Father into the maiden's womb, descending into the taking of our human nature, and in this falling he received great injury. He received powerful experiences of mortal pain. So the we have to remember that the servant um, exemplifies both Christ and us, uh, because, as I just said, Christ and us are are in some ways the same. there's a part of us, as she has said earlier, that is never pulled away from God, that is wanted to God and will always be that way. Uh, that's something that that Julian says over and over again uh, there there's a part of us that that can draw away from God, but there's a part that's always wanted to God, and that can never change. so um, in this case, uh, we're talking kind of about the role of Christ. So Christ leaps, uh, sees sees the the thing that the Lord desires, and what the Lord desires here, when we're talking about the uh, servant as Christ, is the reconciliation of humanity to God, the full reconciliation of humanity to God. That is the delightful thing that the servant is going to till and and work the earth to bring forth. That is the the, the quote food that that. Um, um, God desires. I desire mercy, not the blood of lambs. That's that's kind of where we're we're working at here. The Godhead leaps from the Father into the maiden's womb. So as as we fall into sin, Jesus falls into being enfleshed. Jesus falls in, in into becoming uh, born of the Virgin Mary, um, and in that falling, he receives great injury, and it, it's not uh, to the effect of um, the, that great injury that he receives. Actually, happens. At the end of his life, but there's that point of he falls into it, and these powerful uh, John Julian's uh, translation here, powerful experiences of mortal pain is a little underwhelming, uh, considering the the scourging and the crucifixion, but that is the you know that that is whereas we fall into to sin, uh, and and that is the pain that we experience. Jesus falls into this actual—not um, not only the tearing of humanity from divinity in his own nature, but the actual physical pain uh, of the passion. Um, so you have this the, in the illustration: the servant falls in and is writhing and moaning and groaning in the pit, um, and he could never rise omnipotently from the time that he was fallen into the maiden's womb until his body was slain and dead, he yielding his soul into the Father's hands, along with all mankind for whom he was sent. So that idea, uh, I think we talked in the last uh, sub- said about the harrowing of hell, that idea of, um, uh, that ancient idea that Jesus dies on the cross, and then in between the time that Jesus dies on the cross and Easter, he is, he is harrowing hell. He is he's, traveling the place of the dead and when he is drawn up into heaven um some illustrate ancient church fathers look at this kind of a, as kind of a fish hook that like like jesus is, is is kind of in some ways kind of a bait goes down to the place of hell and um there are all sorts of poetic expositions of of satan gloating now that he's got the son of god and then um uh, on Easter, God pulls Jesus out of hell and it breaks everything as 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 it's going out. And the, the iron gates are broken and the the keys are thrown away and all that kind of stuff. Um, so there's that idea of um, he's down and wallowing in the pit and then drawn out gloriously. His body lay in the grave until Easter morning. And from that time on, he lay down nevermore. That's a really, I like the way that that's phrased. From that time forth, he laid down nevermore. It brought to mind immediately, uh, there's a a spiritual uh, called uh, that um, uh, he is king of kings, Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, son of God. No one works like him. You know, this idea that it's not just that God was, uh, that Jesus was raised to heaven. It's that Jesus continues to work in the world uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And no one works like him from the time that he laid down until the time of now, uh, Jesus has never laid down again. God, Jesus has constantly been working, and then there, throughout this 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 next section, uh, we have an illustration. We've moved from the original illustration to what this situation looks like now, to a imaginative um, uh, kind of exposition of what the relationship between the servant and the the lord looks like now and and she uses these now or no longer as a, a kind of over and over no longer stands the son before the father as a servant fearfully poor poorly clad he, he now stands with a, a, a directly and richly clad in blessed ampleness now the son doesn't stand before the father on the left hand as a workhand but is on his father's right hand in endless repose and peace and we can talk about the the difficulties about talking about right-handedness and left-handedness as, as favor and what that meant in the past but we just have to take it at face value here that at, at the time you know when um, they asked Jesus uh, the disciples say um tell us who's going to sit at your right and who's your left. Jesus says, I can't tell, I'm well, or I'm not going to tell you that. Um, in this case, Jesus sits at the right hand, which is the place of favor. Uh, no longer as a workman, but on his father's right hand in endless repose and peace. Now is the spouse, God's son, in peace with his beloved wife, which is Holy Church, the fair maiden of endless joy. So this is a this is and this is not something that Julian comes up with this this illustration of the church as as Jesus as being the spouse the bridegroom and uh, the church as being the bride i mean you go back to the illustrations of of all the the bridegroom illustrations from the gospels and writers at the time talked about this an awful lot Uh, so this is a a fairly common illustration in uh, medieval thought now sits the son true god and man in repose and peace on his throne which his father is devoted to him out of endless purpose and the father is in the son and the holy spirit in the father and in the son so this she pulls forth this Trinitarian image of um, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in a constant um, relationship um, and in a constant discussion in a constant um, kind of uh, the word is perichoresis, which kind of has this idea of a of a dance you know there's this constant thing that's going on between the three parts of the Trinity um, and and that that this entire illustration of the servant falling into the the um, into the hole, being raised up and being exalted, um, is what in some ways completes the Trinity. It, 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 the Trinity was in one way complete before, but I guess is now more complete um, at the at this time because all is brought to where it's supposed to be. Um, and for us on earth, this is a yes but not yet uh, kind of moment. Uh, we always have to remember that. When we're talking about divine things, we're not talking about time in the same way that we do. That a, a millennia is a blink of time uh, to God because God doesn't live structured by time. So we, we live in this moment, but it's not yet this moment. Uh, that's kind of one of the contrasts that we find in, in Christianity. One of the the um, uh, the things that sometimes are difficult to resolve, and we have to constantly keep telling ourselves that God's time is not our time. So this ends the illustration. Um, this, for me, this is a really important thing uh, because uh, for me, I grew up in a culture that was very, very influenced by fundamentalist Christianity. Um, and so the whole illustration of Jesus dying on the cross for us was used pretty often by preachers that I heard around me as, um, you know, look at this thing that happened. Um, Jesus did this for you. Are you not ashamed by it? If you're shamed by it, shouldn't you then accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? And instead, if we look into this illustration of the Lord and the servant, we see a completely different way of thinking about this entire thing. Um, the, the act of salvation by Jesus, the incarnation, the teaching, and the crucifixion happen not because God is angry with us, but because God is incomplete without us. And the second part of the Trinity knows this and leaps willingly uh, knowing what's going to happen uh, leaps willingly forward to take that upon to to go to earth to teach uh, to be incarnate to teach and to die and to perfect us as as human beings to bring us all to god um, and then now no longer does Jesus sit in that that lowered Space, but the second part of the Trinity is in this glorious space with the Father. Um, it's it's a very positive view, you know. Um, God shows us no more blame uh, for being sinners than God would if we weren't. Uh, this is part of who we are, uh, as we heard very early on. And Julian, Julian believes that sin is behoovly. It's it's something that's part of us as humanity. Uh, it's not something that we can get rid of. So therefore we don't need to look at this entire act of salvation as something that we need to be ashamed about. It's something we need to rejoice in. It is the glory. It is the thing that, to some degree, we were created for. It is the thing that this reconciliation is, is so entrenched in part of us uh, that it's something that we need to be able to celebrate rather than something that we need to bewail and, and be uh, upset about. I think there's a time within the church year, you know, in Holy Week, where it's good for us to think about the the, the amount of sacrifice that, the, that Jesus went through for us. But it always has to be tempered with this joy, because no longer stands the Son before the Father. Now the Son doesn't stand on the left side. Now the spouse, God's Son, is in peace with the church. Now sits the Son, true God and man, to repose and peace on his throne. And that is the thing that we need to be able to celebrate and need to be able to say is the end game that uh, God has brought us all to. Let us say together the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate I ask your prayers for all those in Eastern Europe, especially praying for the people of Ukraine. I ask your prayers for all those on our parish prayer list. And I bid your prayers, either silently or aloud. Let us join together in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as in heaven give us today our daily bread forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil for the kingdom the power and the glory are yours now and forever amen let us pray most holy lord the ground of our beseeching who through your servant saint julian revealed the wonder of your love Grant that as we are created in your nature and restored by your grace, our wills may be so made one with yours that we may come to see you face to face and gaze on you forever, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, thank you for joining me uh, for Love Was His Meaning. Uh, join me again next week uh, as we move out of the uh, the exemplum of the, um, uh, the Lord and the servant and into further uh, parts of Jesus' teaching and God's love. Until then... Take care of yourselves, and God bless. Thank you for joining me for Love Was His Meaning today. This podcast is generally available once a week on Thursday. The text of Julian's revelations used in this podcast is The Complete Julian by Father John Julian Swanson OJN and is used by permission of the Order of Julian of Norwich. The theme music is Julian of Norwich by Bombadil and is used under license.